Welcome to Beyond the Tassel. My name is Craig Williams, and this week we talk about big decisions. Specifically, the decision of whether or not to attend college and earn a degree. It's a big decision, after all, and getting a college degree will take some time. For most people, four years. It also represents quite an investment. So you might be asking yourself, is it worth it? Should I go to college? Hi, I'm Craig Williams, and this is Beyond the Tassel. In this episode, I'll discuss the benefits of going to college and candidly detail a few of the potential drawbacks. Spoiler alert, a college degree and the experience behind it is an amazing asset. But no two students are identical, and I will never apply a generalized template to their post-secondary path. I'm going to break down the four major benefits of going to college. Now, I could easily start at the money part, since that's the bit most people like to compare, but I'm not going to. Instead, I'm going to start on the happiness part, something many people believe, rightly to an extent, is attached to the money part. Let me explain. Studies of mid-career adults, people in their 30s, 40s, and even 50s, consistently show that both men and women with four-year college degrees score higher in happiness surveys. Naturally, Everyone is different, and what makes one person happy isn't always going to make another person happy. But what we know about happiness is that it is often the result of an absence of things, as much as it is about the presence of things that make us happy. For example, an absence of career stress, an absence of marital discord, an absence of financial struggle, and health concerns. These can all leave a person considerably more happy than someone who is struggling with all of the above. And statistically speaking, college-educated adults have lower career uncertainty, higher marital fidelity, fewer financial struggles, and overall better health. Hey, don't shoot me. I'm only the messenger. This is what the data tell us. So let's face it. Most of us have become convinced that money, at least on some level, makes happiness more likely. Of course, you can be happy at any income level, but when you look around and you see people who have it, and those who don't, sometimes you may wonder. But we've got some data on that. In a 2018 study from Purdue University, which pulled from a broad national data set updated for 2020 costs of living, it was found that the ideal income point for individuals is $98,000 a year for life satisfaction and $62,000 to $77,000 per year for emotional well-being. When people earned more than $110,000, it was noted that their happiness levels actually stabilized and saw little increase beyond that point. Now, let's give those numbers a bit more clarity, because in some parts of the country, that's a pretty good payday. But in others, well, (laughs) it'd be hard to pay your rent and afford a parking spot, too, with those kinds of salaries. So before you lock any kind of number in, be sure to do the cost-of-living conversion for your neck of the woods. So, for example, if you lived in New York City or San Francisco, you'd need to nearly double those numbers for it to work. But if you lived more than 50 miles from a major U.S. city and you're not living in Hawaii or Alaska, you can pretty much cut those numbers by about 25%. Now, the latest studies from the New York Federal Reserve Bank show an approximate $35,000 differential between college graduates and high school graduates. This places the average salary of a 28-year-old at about $78,000 for the four-year college grad and $43,000 for the high school grad. Now, of course, you can cite anecdotal realities that are different from these, but again, these are averages distilled from a broad data set. 
Now, the other thing that's certainly related to income, but also has another dimension to it, is the statistical reality of employment versus unemployment. Nationally, in 2019, before COVID, unemployment among those 22 to 27-year-olds with a college degree was 2.2%, but it was about 6.5% for those without a degree. One might imagine that ratio between the employed and the unemployed to remain fairly constant during non-COVID times. All bets are off during COVID, though, because of demand spikes in certain industries. But I mention this other dimension of employment and non-employment because it really matters, and it has to do with a sense of engagement. People who are engaged in something they consider to be worthwhile are generally just happier. It is about the money, of course, but even if you take the money away, people who are engaged are happier than those who are not. And you can check with anyone who's ever won the big lottery if you doubt me on this. The findings are that people not engaged in some form of worthwhile activity, which most people, by the way, find in the form of work, are generally just less happy. So the point of all of this is that money aside, being engaged in something worthwhile really does matter to how we feel about ourselves. And here again, individuals who have a four-year degree tend to find themselves generally more engaged than those who do not have a degree. And let me stress here, this is no judgment of people who don't hold a four-year degree. It is simply a deeper dive into what the data say. So as you can see, there are tons of financial benefits to getting a bachelor's degree. But what about the professional and social advantages? Well, if reasons one and two are happiness and money, then number three has to be the network. Both socially and professionally, the college experience leads to tons of valuable friendships and connections. Let's just begin with the professional networking strengths. Experts estimate that 70 to 80% of jobs aren't advertised publicly. It's all about your network. We are all interconnected today through social media, but the people who can make real connections with those people have an enormous advantage in the influence department. And college is very often the foundation of those kinds of connections. On the social side of things, some folks count their fondest memories among those they experienced in their college years. On a college campus, you can attend parties, plays, sporting events, concerts. You can also create your own random fun with your peers. And no matter what type of person you think you are, you're going to find others there to whom you can relate. Colleges will also sponsor gatherings and other on-campus events that are just meant to be fun and facilitate social interaction. For example, at Ohio State, there's the Mirror Lake Jump. At Murray State University, there's the tradition of the shoe tree. At Cornell, it's the Dragon Day. At the University of Chicago, it's the world's greatest scavenger hunt. And at Tulane, it's Crawfest, where students gather to eat nearly 20,000 pounds of crawfish, or as the locals call them, mud bugs. Now in college, you get to befriend people from all over the United States and even other countries. Many colleges and universities offer opportunities for study abroad through their campuses in places like Rome, Budapest, Paris, Hong Kong, London, Dubai, Florence, Madrid, and Singapore. You'll have the opportunity to immerse yourself in an international social network and become better connected, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Incidentally, approximately 28% of married people met their spouses in college. So we'll end on that interesting data point supporting the value of the social network in college. All right, on to the fourth primary pillar of the college advantage. College opens up a whole new world to you academically. In high school, you generally only have a choice of a handful of elective classes. But in college, you can literally choose from among hundreds of classes and dozens of majors. While there are core requirements at most colleges, 
For the most part, you can decide what you want to study and take classes and subjects you want to learn more about. Many students are able to spark academic passions in college that last a lifetime. Also, while in college, you'll have the chance to pursue tons of extracurriculars and other opportunities you might not have even considered. These activities can become lifelong passions, help you form meaningful relationships, and even prepare you for a future career path. You know, the early Greeks were really bound up in advancing their understanding of the known world. Originally, they placed tremendous value upon the rhetorical arts. This is oration and linguistics and such. Eventually, sometime after the 5th century, they distilled their model for advanced education into something they called the trivium, which would eventually become what we know of today as classic liberal arts. This is not, as its name suggests to many, a political position on education, as in left versus right, liberal versus conservative. It isn't that kind of liberal, but rather a traditional and practical approach to academics in Western higher education. Students are broadly prepared to grapple with many of the questions at the very root of man's existence and day-to-day -day struggles. Liberal arts generally covers three areas, sciences, arts, and the humanities. Its central academic disciplines include philosophy, logic, linguistics, literature, history, political science, sociology, and psychology. A liberal arts education can refer to studies in a liberal arts degree program, as in a major, or just to a university education more generally. Such a course of study contrasts with those that are principally vocational or professional or technical. Many students will pursue a combination of liberal arts with vocational professional and or technical training. But the idea of education nonetheless remains the same, to broaden our understanding of our world and to better prepare ourselves to thrive within it. Now for many students, college is the first time in their lives they're not living at home. During college, you'll learn to become self-sufficient. You'll learn domestic skills and budgeting, even how to motivate yourself without parental encouragement. At the same time, most college students can still go home or call home if they're in need of money or support or whatever it is we need from our families. Now, I'd like to discuss a few possible downsides of attending college. Even though attending college can offer many benefits, there are potential drawbacks. Note that you only get many of the benefits of going to college if you're able to complete your degree. In other words, you've got to graduate. Studies show that only about 60% of all students enrolled as first-time college students actually earned a degree. So, to realize many of the benefits, particularly as they attach to career, network influence, and the broader health and happiness factors, completion does seem to be a key. Now, let's take a look at those downsides. Number one, there is the risk of high cost and potential debt. College can be expensive. It can be really expensive, with costs continuing to rise, and many college graduates are burdened with astronomical student loan debt. Unfortunately, many students don't receive the aid they need to fully cover the costs. And as a result, they take on unsubsidized student loans to finance their college education. Now, sadly, student loan debt increased from $260 billion in 2004 to a staggering $1.5 trillion in 2019. The average student loan debt in 2018 was nearly $36,000. That is a pretty staggering number indeed. Now, overall, student loan debt can dramatically impact your life after you graduate. It can affect the jobs you take, and it can cause you to delay buying a house or even starting a family. Now, I must say here that there are a few strategies 
I'll be discussing in upcoming episodes that can significantly alter that debt landscape. I've explored how rural families, in particular, can leverage financial aid offers from private institutions, in particular, to surprising lengths. So don't be dissuaded on the basis of cost alone from attending college. Number two is the financial benefits of college may, in fact, be overstated. Now, many will claim that the college graduate earns $1 million more in their lifetime than high school graduates. Now, this may not actually be true in the practical sense, and that is to say that it may be skewed by graduates from some of the top universities in the country. Now, these schools include places like Stanford, Harvard, the University of Chicago, Caltech, MIT, Penn, Duke, Princeton, and Yale. You've heard of all these places. Now, while it is certainly true that these schools and others very often lead to rock star economic outcomes, it just isn't fair to say that the economic love is equally distributed across all schools, because it truly isn't. But then, I did say that money isn't the only reason to go to college, didn't I? The other thing to bear in mind is there really are no limits to what a person can earn, regardless of what college they attend and whether they attend it at all. So countless young people head off to college each year with dreams of job security and professional success, only to find that they just aren't prepared out of the gate to assume what they might consider to be a fair exchange rate for their services with an employer. To put it bluntly, there are a lot of well-educated, unemployed, or underemployed young people kicking around in dead-end careers. Now, some will argue that, financially speaking, it may be a safer bet to enter a vocation or a trade, like dental hygiene or an HVAC tech. Now, undoubtedly, these are safe, economically secure career paths, and we certainly wouldn't discourage them. Because at the end of the day, it's really all about fit. And if those kinds of pursuits feel like better fits to you, then who am I to argue? And number three, and this is our last uh, pillar of downsides for non-attendance. College might not actually make you smarter. Well, now who'd have thunk? <laughs> the last major downside of attending college is that going to one might not actually increase your intelligence. Well, a 2011 study found that 45% of 2,300 traditionally aged college students studied from 2005 to 2009 actually made no significant improvement in their critical thinking or their reasoning or their writing skills during the first two years of college. After four years, 36% showed no significant gains. Now, given the cost of attending college, you'd hope that higher education would have a dramatically positive effect on those skills for all students. But this might not actually be true. So this doesn't mean you won't be among the 64% of students who do show significant gains. It just means that some students don't. It also doesn't mean that you won't still benefit enormously from the other upsides to college attendance, like networking and health and happiness markers. Those remain just as likely regardless of whether you improve your critical thinking skills or not. So, should you go to college or not? Now, admittedly, I'm somewhat biased because I've spent years stressing the importance of attending college to high school students. However, I do recognize that college might not be for everyone. Other than the pros and cons of college I mentioned, here are some additional factors to consider when deciding whether or not to attend college. You'll have more options with a college degree. This is unquestioned. You might be planning to enter a trade that doesn't require a college degree and will provide you with a good salary and benefits, but if you end up deciding later that you don't like that field and you don't have a college degree, your employment options will be limited. Also, if you take up a trade that requires physical labor and you suffer an injury, you might struggle to find work without a college degree. If you've got a great path that excites you 
and it doesn't run through a four-year college degree, you'll get no argument from me. I encourage you to pursue it with passion and make the most of it. But if you're smart, hardworking, and curious about your world and the path ahead, I'd encourage you to explore the college option. That's it for this week. Next week, I tackle how you can determine great college fit. Because there are more than 3,500 public and nonprofit private colleges and universities in the United States. I'll walk you through a process for considering which ones might be a good fit for you. Until then, I'm Craig Williams for Beyond the Tassel. <laughs>